Welcome to uh, Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. I am Joe Works in Elmira, New York. Joining me as usual, Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. How are you this afternoon, Jeff? Doing very well. And Chase Byers in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Hey, Chase. Yep. Doing good. Sometimes it's known as Harrisonburg, uh, PA, but only by other people on this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I, I started to bring that up and, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I was just hoping that that wound had been healed. Uh, yeah. Um, now somebody keeps scratching at the scab. <laughs> it's been a while since we've talked about Jeff's commentary as well. We want you to bring, we need oh, to bring that back. <laughs> Do you know how many, I keep finding mistakes in it. The other day uh, I was looking at a page in it. And there were several references to Leviticus, passages in Leviticus, and I think like three or four, and every one of them had the wrong chapter. I just... Uh, just <laughs> well, thankfully, nobody ever studies that book, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'll ever catch it. All right. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Well, Let's today, get to Abraham. Yeah, today we we're talking about Abraham. Uh, we began last week uh, just going through a series. I don't know how many... Uh, weeks we'll do this, but going through a series talking about different individuals in scriptures. Um, uh, we uh, talk about Abraham today, wanting to think about particularly lessons and applications we can make from his life, um, uh, but also to recognize the value of his story um, and how it relates to the rest of scripture, how it relates to uh, us even uh, even today. Um, when you think about Abraham and his qualities or his characteristics, um, <clears throat> what aspect or what virtue comes to your mind first regarding Abraham? Well, that's easy. Uh, faith. Yeah. Right. I, I was going to add endurance onto that. Um, just the, the longevity he would have needed to have to get through what he went through. Sure, sure, uh, which, which only magnifies that faith aspect. Um, uh, right. Um, uh, I noted several years ago, I'm sure others have as well, that you know, it's hard to find in the New Testament a text that is describing faith in very much detail that Abraham isn't used as an example. Yeah. Um, Romans 4, Hebrews 11, even James, where James is talking about faith without works being dead, uh, it's, it's Abraham's working faith that is held up as a good example. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and uh, so maybe we'll spend some time talking about his faith, but also some other things in Abraham's life. And so if you're listening and you want to participate, we would encourage that. If you have any questions or any comments about Abraham, Things that strike you as, as particularly helpful in uh, your daily walk with the Lord, um, uh, any passages regarding Abraham that you think are especially significant, of course, it's all important, but something that, that uh, impacts you in a, in a particular way, please feel free to, uh, to jot that down and, and send that to us uh, in the comments section on, uh, on Zoom or on um, uh, Facebook Live on, on Jeff's page there. So um, where to begin? Um, uh, we've got the story of Abraham starts in which chapter of the Bible? See if which is Chase or Jeff going to get this wrong first? Chapter, chapter 11. 11. 
Whoa, I'm so <laughs> impressed. Wow. It's like these guys study the Bible or something. He, he doesn't think much of us, Chase, does he? No, he doesn't. Here, here, Actually, he knows us pretty well. Let's, pan, let's pander to him. Well, Joe, I think it starts in chapter 12. With That's the, what I was thinking. And aren't there only three promises that God gives Abraham in the first three verses? Thank you, Chase. I appreciate the setup there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, why does it start in chapter 11 then? Well, you're, you're talking about the lineage from Shem, from Noah, uh, down to Abraham. And uh, that's covered there in chapter 11. Yeah, see, that's the wrong answer I was looking for. Uh-oh. Thank you. <laughs> he set no, me up. No, you, you, you are correct as far as that's the first time that we find Abraham being mentioned. But I do think it's interesting to note that the, the significance of Abraham's life um, isn't just at his genealogy. What's the beginning of chapter 11 uh, dealing with? Well, it's the Tower of Babel. Yeah, where the, people the scattering come of the people. Mm -hmm. And so you have this Bible story where God says, go, and the people say, no, we're going to stay right here. God curses them and scatters them abroad. I think that that is the perfect setup for the story of Abraham, where God says, go, and Abraham says, yes, sir. And God blesses him. I think the story of the Tower of Babel and the scattering of the people uh, is, a, is a clear contrast, intended contrast to the story of Abraham. So Genesis 11, I think, is, is really important to, to recognize the attitude of the people versus the faith of Abraham. We see that in other stories, right? Like with Noah. You know, we, we, we saw that same contrast with Noah back in Genesis 6. So Genesis 11 is, is a great starting point, um, recognizing how uh, Abraham is willing to do what God said, not even knowing uh, what, where God was sending him and, and what the fullness of that was going to be. Abraham's faith in God contrasted with the individuals at the, in the city of Babel. Uh, thoughts about that before we go further? No, I, I think that's uh, think that's right. And I, I just, um, where are you going to go into more detail on what it says about Abram in chapter eleven? Uh, feel free, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, with every genealogy, you normally see there's a flow to it, and almost like a rhythm and a poetry that comes with it. This is how long they lived and they died, and this is how long they lived before they had kids, or you know that kind of thing. But in the Genesis eleven genealogy, it's well, then they're the father of this, they're the father of this, and so forth and so on. But then all of a sudden, it tells us uh, in Genesis eleven twenty nine 29, that Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was barren. She had no child. That, that breaks the, the pattern that you're seeing so far. And it kind of, kind of presents this interesting fact that you're wondering, well, what, what does that have to do with anything? But it's really going to be explored through the rest of the, the story of Abraham, the fact that his wife is the one that's barren. Right. Yeah. Something else there, Jeff, you wanted to add as well? Well, just thinking about your observations about, and I, it, it's a detail, I don't, I don't 
want to spend a lot of time on it, but just think about your observation about the contrast between the people at the Tower of Babel who did not want to be scattered, and then Abraham tells, or God tells Abram to go to a land which I will show you. Um, There may be something that's being contrasted there, but the fact is people have already spread out uh, when Abram comes to the land of Canaan, there are already people there, but but I guess your point is it's kind of like maybe God telling the Israelites in the wilderness, uh, "Don't save it over," and then on the sixth day He says, "Save the manna over," um, and so here He had He had um, re- He had really addressed the desire of the people of the Tower of Babel to scatter, and He had prevented that from happening. Now he commands it, and well, it's God's word, so Abraham goes. So I see the point. I'm not sure if how how if that's intended an intended contrast or not. So uh, my my argument is probably more uh, circumstantial or uh, or whatever. But I just find it interesting from verses 10 through 25. There's a lot of people that are listed in that genealogy. Almost nothing is told about any of their lives. It's like we, the, if we just follow storyline to storyline, the Tower of Babel to the story of Abraham, yeah. particularly from at chapter 12, that, yeah. that would be the connection that I would make for yeah. that. It's, it's, um, the, it's, the, it's actually, it's, you know, the, the two narratives are, uh, there is no narrative between those two. It's right. just the, the generations. Yeah. <clears throat> Another thing I think it's interesting, before we ever get to the, the story of Abraham, is uh, in verse 26, uh, his father. Um, uh, you have Terah is his father listed in Genesis eleven twenty-six, 26, right? Um, and when we get all the way over much later, much past the life of Abraham to Joshua's famous speech in Joshua 24, um, Joshua references the uh, Abraham's uh, parentage and describes where Abraham came from. Um, and I think it, again, it helps to impress upon our minds the faith that Abraham has in Genesis, or, uh, sorry, in Joshua 24. Um, where am I at here looking for? 14, in, uh, verse 2. Um, verse 2, yeah. Oh. Uh, Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him through all the land of Canaan, multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac, and the story goes on. Um, you know, so we're seeing a an idolatrous background for him. Um, and then what verse did you mention, uh, well, verse 14, but it doesn't mention Terah there by name. It just refers to the, their fathers. But, but, I, but I think that 14 and 15 is tied to verse 2. I think you're exactly yeah. right. Now, therefore, the fear of the Lord, now, therefore, fear the <laughs> Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, to choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, uh, who your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We, we would have thought that Joshua 24, 15 only had that last sentence. Uh, the rest of it is never uh, crocheted or, uh, uh, you know, put on, put on the wall. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, but 
you have this, this lesson that uh, Abraham comes steeped in idolatry, and when God sees what Abraham can become, he, he calls him then here in chapter 12 of Genesis. That's cool. I had, no, I had not made that connection before, Joe. That's really neat. So, um, well, let's jump back to Abraham's life. We have a, a lot of text. There's no way we're going to cover all of the uh, aspects of, of Abraham. And, and I don't mind picking and choosing. Um, in fact, we have some biblical precedent for that. Uh, we don't have to go in chronological order. Um, uh, there's so, so much about Abraham's life. What are some things that really stand out to you guys? You know, the, the, this, it's hard to pick, but, but it is interesting. This man is held up as, as a great example of faith. He's not a perfect man. I, I, I think we see him grow in faith, but uh, there are times that he makes some serious mistakes um, where he is looking out for himself and not for his wife in his conniving to, you know, when he goes into foreign countries and doesn't want people to kill him to get her. Um, he has her say she's his sister. We do find out she is his half-sister, but, but his little ploy there is only going to protect him. It's not going to protect her, so it's not an honorable thing, and, and, and I think that helps me when we come to Romans, the fourth chapter, and Paul talks about the fact that Abraham was not justified by works. I think we can each look at our own lives, and we can see we've done things that we're ashamed of, that are just wrong, that were wrongly motivated, and uh, yet we can be justified, but we're not going to be justified by our, our works. Our, our own, we're not going to stand righteous in our own right. Abraham was counted as righteous because of his faith, his faithfulness over the long haul, you could say. Yeah, great, great point. You have both Genesis 12, where he does that, and then you have in Genesis 16 with the Hagar story, uh, clearly a uh, not following God's design um, and so, uh, yeah, a couple of good, good and situations. Genesis where... 20, when he again right. does the, she's my sister thing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then and so... Isaac does it later on. It just seems to have been, that's what you do when you go right. to a foreign country with a good looking wife. Who <laughs> 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 must've been about 65 years old, by the way. But... Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and Chase got it. Yeah, I just and touching on what Jeff said, it just it brings me a lot of comfort that I mean Abraham is called this friend of God. He walked with God. He is a faithful person, and yet you see these lapses in his faith, and he is not described or characterized by those lapses, but he's characterized by his willingness to get back up and apply what he learned uh, to a future situation. That that really is what biblical faith is. It's building on what was already there. And so God didn't start Abraham off on Mount Moriah in Genesis 22 saying, take now your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. He started him off back in chapter 11 um, and chapter 12 with asking him to leave his country and leave his home and leave his family behind and to go to a land that Abraham doesn't know where it is. And God will do similar things with us in slowly building our faith and giving us the, the trials we go through. But it, it's up to us on what we're going to do with those trials. If we did well through them, great, let that encourage you. But if you didn't do well from them, you're given the choice to learn from that and apply it the next time or just doubt God the next time 
Um, you know, and so Abraham's a, a very relatable character, despite sometimes I think feeling like you can't really relate to him. When you really dig into his story, you see how relatable he is. Yeah. So you, uh, Jeff had mentioned this and uh, either quoted or practically quoted uh, Genesis 15, 6, right? Uh, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It's, uh, it's his faith in the Lord. We, we find that quoted three times in the New Testament or three chapters in the New Testament, several times actually in Romans 4. Uh, you got Romans 4 and Galatians 3 and, and James 2 all quote that. And the amazing thing about that is that each of those passages, the major reference in the text is to a different time frame in Abraham's life, right? Uh, you have one of them talks about the time of, of Genesis 12, one of them talks about Genesis 17 with the circumcision, and the other one with the offering up of Isaac. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so, uh, and but the quote is from Genesis 15. And so right. you have this quote in Genesis 15 referencing the span of his life, Genesis 12, 17, and 22. That's really remarkable that you see this, this sense of just, he keeps coming back to the Lord, even when he messes up royally, um, like all of us. And uh, we were talking just very briefly before we went online uh, on air uh, about how uh, Abraham seems to be this sort of Superman figure uh, in our minds. But in reality, he's he's quite relatable because of uh, when, when we when we jump in and see he had struggles, he he had fears, he he had weaknesses. Um, but he kept coming back to the Lord. He made parenting mistakes. Yeah. You know, there's an interesting little thing. We, we talked about the times that when he went to Egypt and said, she's my sister about his wife. And then when he, he goes to, uh, I think it's at Girar, the, the land of the Philistines. And he says, she is my, she is my sister uh, of, of Sarah, his wife. It's interesting that in that last occasion in Genesis chapter 20, when when the question is, why did you do this to us? Put us in jeopardy with, with God. But, you know, we could have really been in trouble here if we'd. And um, he, Abraham's explanation is, I thought, surely there is no fear of God in this place. Hmm. And, and I think that sometimes, maybe that's a lesson for us. Sometimes we justify doing the wrong thing because of what we fear somebody else will do. They don't fear God they might do this or that. They might do this or that to me. Therefore, I can, and then I justify myself for doing something that I would otherwise say would not be, be right. You know, that was the mistake Abraham made. Good, good, uh, great observation. Yeah. Um, again, very relatable. Uh, we need to, to learn from his lesson, learn, learn the lessons that, that he learned along the way. So the lesson there, of course, is I'm not responsible for what somebody else does. I need to do the right thing, regardless of whether I think they're going to do the right thing or not. Exactly. <clears throat> yep. Perfect. Um, another, uh, Chase mentioned earlier, uh, another application, um, Abraham being called a friend of God. Uh, and so where did we first find that uh, referenced? Oh, man, all of a sudden, he, he's called a friend of God in the prophets in the Old Testament. Is it in Jeremiah? Um, uh, not that I'm aware of. I'm, I'm drawing a blank all of a sudden. I can't remember where that is. And then it's referred to in the New Testament. 
Yeah. Um, and it's referred to, I'm drawing a blank on both. Of you. It's in the book of Acts where it says he's called a friend of God, right? Go, go ahead, Chase. Uh, school him on it. <laughs> Uh, is it is it in James two in the faith and oh, works? Section? Oh yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the first place is in Second Chronicles chapter twenty. Oh man, I was so far off. That's sad. No, well, it was, I, in, the, it was I, in the Old I, Testament. You had that part right, Jeff. Okay. Well, <laughs> and 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 where is the Old Testament? Second uh, Chronicles <laughs> chapter twenty and verse seven. Um, it's a really neat reference. It just sort of comes out of nowhere. Uh, you know, Jehoshaphat, uh, you have the Moabites and the Ammonites and others have gathered together in battle against God's people and Jehoshaphat is king and the people are all worried about what's going to happen. You know, you've got Syria and, and just everybody is, is piling on to, to Judah and Jehoshaphat, in verse three, he fears the Lord and he seeks the Lord, he proclaims a fast and then he calls everybody together and offers up this prayer in verse 6. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And your hand, is there, uh, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? I've got it. It's, it's going to be Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, right? There you go. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> All right, go Are ahead. you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to your descendants, uh, gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Yeah. Um, and, you know, to, to just uh, in appealing to God in this very scary situation, I mean, they're, it looks like they're about ready to be overrun. Um, uh, but uh, Jehoshaphat appeals to God, and the basis of his appeal to God is God's faithfulness, God's uh, faithfulness to fulfill what he said that he would do. You gave this land to Abraham's descendants just like you said you would, um, and uh, he goes on, another famous quote there at the end of verse 15, the battle is not yours but God's, uh, Joshua, Joshua tells the people, and so uh, you find a lot of great strength in uh, in in God by recognizing the uh, the faithfulness that, that He has to His covenant. So good point. Now, if I can just save face just a little bit, it's also in one of the prophets in Isaiah chapter forty-one, verse eight. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to let me off the hook that easily? I, I am. I am. I had forgotten about that one. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will, just I will nice. definitely. Uh, you know, none of us know all the scriptures. And uh, wow. Uh, you know, it's it's nice being able to study together because I, I had forgotten about that one. Uh, so well, that's, that's really, that's a bad one to forget, though. I mean, I'm not, not well, the Isaiah, but James 2. Well, Forgetting talk, that it's in James 2. That was, that was, no, I'm a little embarrassed. Talk. Let's talk about that for a second, though, because I think we talked about this earlier. Genesis 15, 6, um, and his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's used several other times in the New Testament. Uh -huh. And so for me, anytime I'm trying to pull up all the Abraham New Testament quotes, my mind goes to Romans, my mind goes to James, my mind goes to Hebrews 11, and other places, uh, my mind goes to Galatians. There's several places where that is yep. used. And so, Jeff, I, I hear you on there's trying to remember well which which of those eight you know actually call him the friend of god it can be easy to forget that no you guys are being too nice 
Let me not let you off the hook. I, I would have thought, Jeff, that the name James would be pretty significant to you right now. Yeah, you would think, wouldn't you? <laughs> I just haven't had a grandson born named James. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so, but the, 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 the point is, here's a man, a fallible man, who can be called a friend of God. It's in James, by the way that James talks about those who are not friends of God, but enemies of God, because they love the world. And, and yet here's a man in the world who at times uh, loves his life in the world to the extent that he's going to put his wife at risk, but he can end up being called a friend of God. It's kind of similar to David. When you look at the New Testament account of references to David, you see everything's positive. He's held up as a great example. And yet we know the mistakes David made. And we know that grievous instance where he committed adultery and had murder committed to cover it up. And yet God can look back upon his life and look at David and say a man after God's own heart. And here in the New Testament, God can look at Abraham retrospectively. He's called a friend of God. So that's our hope that in spite of our mistakes through Jesus Christ, one day we can be called a friend of God. Well, and bringing it back to Genesis, Joe, that was the whole goal, it, at least as I'm reading through the Genesis narrative, is figuring out how can man be a friend of God? Because they had that privilege in the garden. Um, that man was walking with God. God was in the garden, but sin makes that separation. And they're anticipating even through Noah. What, what does Noah's name mean again? I can't recall it off the top of my head. Um, but, I'm not saying anything. Uh, this one, um, let's see here. What they say? This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground, which the Lord has cursed. So they're, they're anticipating Noah to be it, but the, the flood occurs. And Noah and his family step off the ark, and immediately it kind of goes back into chaos uh, with Noah getting drunk and then cursing his sons, and it's just a, it, it's a downward spiral. And then Abraham comes on the scene, and he's doing it. He's walking with God, but God is promising Abraham that he will not be the one, but there, it will come through his family. It will come through his seed. And so God is reaching out, trying to reestablish this friendship that we can have with him and it really is a beautiful thing because i think in as you think throughout the centuries the idea of deity and and worshiping god or gods it was almost like those gods were always unapproachable and you you were cowering to them but the idea of yahweh the god of israel you commune with him you have a relationship with him you walk with him and that's a really beautiful thing and abraham is the start of that if I could, Joe, Joe, since Chase mentioned Noah, and he mentioned the time that Noah got drunk and everything, let's, let's make this connection. The, the book of Genesis, and indeed the Old Testament, is, is not written randomly. It's not like somebody just sat down and said, well, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. It's written with a view to where it's going, even, even in a microcosm. So in Genesis 9, you have, and this is kind of like your point about the Tower of Babel, and, and then and then Abraham um, being told to go to a land that God would show him. In Genesis 9, where Noah gets drunk, he pronounces this curse upon Ham's son, which would be Noah's grandson. And the curse, therefore, is upon Canaan, which is Noah's grandson. And he is to be a servant of his brothers, specifically his uncles, 
and their descendants, his uncles, um, Shem and Japheth. The, the, the Abraham comes from the line of Shem, and his descendants, therefore, are going to be the, the Shemites. Uh, specifically, they'll be the Israelites as their descendants of Israel. But they're going to conquer the land of Canaan, and thus this curse is going to be accomplished, that the Canaanites are going to be subjected to those who are descendants of Shem. So you had that curse pronounced in Genesis 9, and then you get to chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, and you're introduced to Abraham. And in chapter 12, God promises, sends him to Canaan, the land of these people who are descended from Noah's grandson, who was cursed, Canaan, sends Abraham to that land, says, I'm going to give you this land. Your descendants are going to get this land. And so then we realize, ah, we were told about that curse back in Genesis 9 to set us up for this promise God's going to make to Abraham about the land being given to Abraham's descendants. Um, and so just illustrates the point when you're going through Genesis 9, it's not just, well, this happened, so we'll write about it. It's this happened, and it's going to be used by God to set up what he's going to do that I'm going to tell you about next. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, we very much need to see that Bible story. And uh, I like the way I, I, I've never used that uh, uh, language that Chase used, tying those things together. Uh, God is desiring this friendship, you know, uh, fellowship. Um, I, I'm afraid that we have, and maybe more in our generation than ever before, diminished the meaning of friendship. Um, you know, you can be Facebook friends or whatever with people that we know absolutely nothing about. Um, uh, but when we think about from a biblical vantage point of being a friend, we're talking about loyalty and dedication and covenant and sacrifice for, you know, friendship in the Bible is quite meaningful. And so to have Abraham and God to be called friends is, is nothing light at all. Uh, I think it's really, really heavy, really, really deep uh, praise there, uh, uh, honor for, for Abraham, maybe a better word, honor. Um, Good. Anything else there on, on any of that? Maybe also while we're right there in James, to, to uh, thinking about that James 2 connection, um, I mentioned that Abraham is more relatable than uh, maybe at first blush. Who You have Abraham, and then you have uh, somebody else that's talked about as a reference of faith in there in James 2. Uh, who, who's the other one that's talked about there? Rahab. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we think about Rahab and we think harlot, you know, idolatrous person, you know, from Jericho, uh, you know, she did a great deed, but even in the midst of that, she lies. And, uh, you know, uh, just maybe a more relatable person, um, uh, uh, you know, from just looking at maybe not the exact same sins, but of seeing ourselves as, as sinful creatures, I would think that Rahab could could pretty quickly see herself as being unworthy. But when we look at Abraham, again, all of these illustrations of faith and, and his dedication, the offering up of his son in Genesis 22 and so forth, but where does Rahab's story end up taking us? Think about the end of the book of Ruth. Yeah, to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, you know, she, she's right there very tightly in the... Uh, the genealogy of David, um, uh, leading us to to, to Jesus, uh, Matthew one as well. Um, uh, so, 
God isn't uh, waiting to get perfect people to be friends with and uh, to have a relationship with, but he does want people that are going to trust in him. Um, uh, flaws and all, we, we need to try to overcome those flaws. Um, but seeing Rahab and a Abraham together, I think, helps me to see the weaknesses of both of them, but also the that salvation is something that God is offering to people who turn to him in repentance and, and trust. So what else about uh, Abraham then well, in the 12 to 25 or, or whatever you would like to talk about there? Anything come to your mind? Well, I just I think it'd be good if we talked about Genesis 22, um, Mount Moriah, where God will call on Abraham to take his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loves, and take him to this mountain and to sacrifice him. Yeah. And as the story continues, um, Abraham immediately the next morning wakes up, takes the boy. Um, Isaac carries the wood as they depart to go and sacrifice. And a question is asked from Isaac, you know, we have the wood, we have the fire, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham will say, the Lord will provide for himself a lamb, or provide for himself. And Isaac uh, is, goes onto the altar willingly, without refusal. Uh, Abraham binds him there, reaches up to slay his son, and an angel of the Lord stops him. And eventually it will be a ram that is caught in a thicket that is sacrificed in Isaac's stead. But all of that is symbolic, as Hebrews will point out to us, of, of what God is going to do with his son. Um, and even in a story like Abraham, where we are supposed to be, and are rightfully so, in awe of the tremendous faith and obedience of Abraham, what that story is really pointing us to is to really have a tremendous amount of awe in the love that our God has for us. Um, the faith needs to be noted, but the love of God is what shines forth in that, that picture. Uh, this is Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, and Isaac, your descendant, shall be called. And he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Um, some translations, like the KJV says, he received him back as a parable. And that's because in Greek, the word is parabole, which is the same word we get for parable. It's a throwing alongside. That story is showing us what God was willing to do with Jesus. Um, and so it, it's really cool to see Christ throughout that whole story in Genesis 22. That's exactly right. Um, one of the places that makes that, you know, so many uh, connections to make between Genesis 22 and the story of Jesus. Um, one of the ones that stands out to me the, the most in that or kind of seals it for me is that Genesis 22 and verse 2 is the first place that we read the word love in, uh, in the scriptures. Um, uh, take now your only son, uh, Isaac, whom you love. Um, so, uh, you've got this beloved son of, of Abraham and uh, the story foretelling the, the great sacrifice that 
the Father is willing to make for, for us. Um, and yeah, then that, <coughs> that reference to your only son whom you love, <coughs> in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 and following, Isaac is referred to as the only begotten son in the King James and the American Standard. And, and that's a phrase that is not unique to uh, Isaac and Jesus, but it is used several times of Jesus, a uh, mm -hmm. couple of times in, well, John 1, 18, John 3, 16. Um, and, and so there seems to be that connection. And, and then, of course, there is the fact that also there in verse 2 of Genesis 22, it says, go to the land of Moriah, to one of the mountains, which I'll show you. The only other time Moriah is mentioned is in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, where Jerusalem is connected with Moriah, which is where, of course, God would sacrifice his son. And as Abraham, in a figure, got his son back from the dead, Jesus would come back from the dead. And so, in Genesis 22, Abraham calls the place the Lord will provide. Uh, as it is said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. So this, this was a forward-looking story about something God was going to provide in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, man, so many great lessons there um, that, that mankind could not have anticipated, but seeing them fulfilled perfectly in Jesus, um, uh, God uh, stopping Isaac from being uh, sacrificed, uh, but providing this, uh, this animal sacrifice in its place, but God allowing Jesus to be sacrificed. Doesn't it just get you every time you read uh, verse 7 when they're going up the mountain and Abraham knows the plan, I'm going to sacrifice Isaac. Mm -hmm. But Isaac says, uh, my father, uh, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Right. It's just, 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 you think as a father and your child, you're going to sacrifice your child because God said to. And your child says, where's the lamb? Yep. But what's so impressive too, I don't want to go, you know, we, we need to think about God and Jesus as, as soon as we get to this passage, but Hebrews is also pointing out that demonstrates Abraham's faith because God said, your descendants are coming through Isaac. Yep. And even though had, had Abraham ever seen anyone raised from the dead before? No, he, he had never seen that before. He, I don't even know if he ever thought of it being possible but only in the context where he said, well, God said this, and that's going to come true, that yeah. God promised this. And so I, yeah. I guess the only way he's going to do this is bring him back from the dead, because God said it. And just having that much faith in what God said right. is exactly the kind of faith that the Hebrew writer is calling these suffering Christians to, where God has said, I'm going to get you through this, but everything that they're seeing and experiencing contradicts what God is saying. Right. He's saying, have the same faith your father Abraham had, that even when everything in front of you looks like it contradicts what God said, you know that God is going to come through. Right. And that describes the faith that a Christian has to have. If you can't get through it, you, if you can't have that kind of faith, you're not going to get through what you're going through. And, and so often we look at the story of Abraham and his faith, and I think our instinct is to say, wow, I will never have that kind of faith. And yet the point of Hebrews 11 and Romans 4 is exactly that. That's the kind of faith we're supposed to have. Yeah, I think we got a comment as well uh, given there. Um, uh, since animal sacrifice are a type of Christ, John 1 another way to look at Genesis 22 is that the ram is a type of, of 
represents Christ. Uh, that being the case, Isaac represents us. Uh, Isaac, one who is supposed to die that day, but the ram died instead of him. We are the ones who are supposed to die because of our sins, but the Lamb of God dies instead of us, Genesis 22, 8 and 13. Amen. Uh, it's right. Yeah, there's a there's a substitution that, that takes yeah. place there, um, and you very much see that Ram uh, in Genesis 22 uh, foreshadowing Christ. Chase, did you mention earlier there in verse 13 where the, the Ram is, is caught in the thicket? So you have this sense of, of thorns being around its head. And I think you get that imagery of, of Christ. Um, uh, maybe not everybody would see that, but uh, it's, it's not hard when you see all the other connections, the wood and everything else. Um, that, yeah, I think uh, uh, Pat is certainly onto something there. Um, yeah, so Isaac starts out, he represents God's son whom God loves, and then he represents us. Uh, and and the ram would be Christ who is offered yeah. in place of the son. Yeah. And another Old Testament pattern where you have the the Israel and the perfect Israelite, uh, thinking about the book of Isaiah, uh, yep. the, the the servants and the servant and so forth. Yeah, yeah, uh, just a, a a pattern of God's word. Yeah, very helpful. Well, um, uh, let me see well, how much time we've got. Just a couple more minutes. Let me ask you guys um, an easier question this time. Do you have uh, headings in your chapter or chapter titles in your Bibles? Yeah, I do. So what is your chapter title for chapter 23? Death and Burial of Sarah. Same here. Yeah. So looking at that chapter, how much, you know, what is there, uh, 20, um, uh, we've got uh, 20. exactly 20 verses. How many verses take up her death? Um uh, one verse two. Yeah, what, two. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 I, I'm I'm okay with including verse one as well. So one okay. one and two. Uh, how many take up her actual burial? Uh, two or th three down through verse eleven ish, fourteen. Well, actually, well, her, her actual burial is verse nineteen. Yeah, and, her her burial is nineteen. Okay. The majority of the text is Abraham buying a plot of of ground, right? Right. I think that this is one of those places, and I wouldn't do any better. I'm not suggesting that I would, but sometimes the chapter titles mislead us, I think. I think the point of this text is really found in verse 4, where Abraham goes to uh, the, the, the people of the land, and he says, I am a foreigner and a sojourner among you. Give me your property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Now, that's also referenced for us in the New Testament. In a chapter that we've already studied, that the number falls between verses 10 and 12. <laughs> Hebrews 11. Yeah. I think of verse um, 39, these all having had witness born to them that through their faith received not the promises. And, no, oh, go, no, earlier in the chapter it says, Go back. Yeah. Have, yeah verse having died in 13, faith. Yeah. Yeah, having received the promises, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Yeah, that Abraham did not receive the land. He did not receive the promises. Yeah, he's and so he he described himself as this foreigner and a sojourner. Peter capitalizes that in, in his letter, uh, you know, referring to us in those ways. And and likewise, and again, just a biblical theme, uh, the last, isn't the last chapter of uh, First Chronicles, um, uh, Abra uh, David's uh, praise, you know, he makes a very similar statement. 
um, at the end of his life, 1 Chronicles 29, 15, for we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all of our fathers. Our days on earth are a shadow and without hope. You know, we're, we're aliens and pilgrims. Uh, your, your translations may say sojourners there as well. Um, you know, you got Abraham proclaims himself to be a sojourner and a foreigner in the land. David proclaims himself. The, the king of Israel says, I, I, I don't belong here. Um, and so then we have these passages like Hebrews 11 and, and 1 Peter uh, chapters 1 and 2 that emphasize that's the way that we need to be living as well. Um, so I, I, I just like the, the, that observation there in Genesis 23. Don't just read that as Sarah, Sarah gets buried. Um, uh, she dies and, and is placed in the cave. You know, the, the point of the text, at least the inspired commentary from Hebrews 11 is, this is the way that Abraham lived his life. He never claimed anything on earth as being a, his permanent uh, residence. And, and we need to live in that same way. And how vital is that to these Hebrew Christians um, who are losing their possessions, that they're losing everything on earth as a result of following God. And the Hebrew writers looking at them saying, you are in good company. This is exactly what your forefathers went through and you can go through it as well. And so we're at the, we're out of time. But let me just mention one more verse really quickly and then we'll close off. Do, do you guys have a thought before we uh, dismiss here? Uh, so I'm just thinking about passages like Genesis, uh, Galatians 3 and verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Um, uh, you know, go back earlier, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, recognizing our connection to Abraham, he lived his life by faith. We need to do our, we need to live ours the same way. When we do that, uh, we belong to Christ and uh, have the, the hope of the promises that he had been alluding to all the way back as early as Genesis 12 to Abraham, earlier than that, of course, to, to others as well. Well, thank you all for joining us. If you have another person in scriptures that you would like for us to examine and, and talk about, please feel free to, to put that in the comments section, uh, particularly on Jeff's Facebook page, or if you'd like to, to text or email any of us, uh, that would be fine as well. Um, look forward to being with you again next week. Thank you very much.